Well, again, good morning. Welcome. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're continuing our study of the gospel of Luke, uh, looking at some of the unique teachings from Luke. Hope you're all doing well. God is good, isn't he? It was funny, I, I, as pastor for 30 years, I've experienced a lot, um, and it's, it's, it's strange to me that I sometimes see the best of families and the worst of families at weddings and funerals. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. We had a great wedding last night. Caroline got married, and it was just a joyous time, and two gospel-centered families just really, it's, it's awesome when that happens. I've been to some funerals and weddings, though, that were not glorious experiences. I remember walking into a home where a, a mother had recently passed away, an older woman, and her husband was still alive. And she had a couple of daughters, and one of the daughters I knew, the other one I didn't, they had asked me to come do the funeral. I walked in. The second daughter that I knew had just gotten there right before me, and unbeknownst to her, the first daughter had gone through the entire house putting name tags on everything she claimed, to which the second daughter basically exploded. The dad was still there. I mean, it was a horrible situation in the death of her mom. I, I've been to other uh, funerals where uh, suddenly the the money has entered the equation and families have just disintegrated over the financial aspects. Greed is a horrible thing. And yet, whether you know it or not, every single one of us is infected because of the country we live in, the day we live in. All the things that are going on. Uh, greed affects every single one of us, and it would be really helpful if we just start off this morning by admitting it. I mean, otherwise, I'm going to spend half the sermon trying to convince you you've got greed uh, issues. And you'd be like, no, 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 Pastor, I don't have greed issues. The only reason you don't think you have greed issues is because you're comparing your greed with someone else's greed. And you think you're better because you don't know what's in your heart. It's, 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 it's a problem. Uh, it's a historic problem. It's a biblical problem. It's a personal problem. And yet, the biblical teaching about greed is really strong. As I studied it this week, I was overwhelmed at the number of passages that talk about greed. And by the way, the Bible's against it, in case you wonder. It's not for it. Nothing good is said about greed. But you know what? In America, greed is good. If you want to watch Wall Street, it's a movie. Greed is good. Money, getting more money is good. We celebrate the rich. We celebrate sometimes people who have done nothing except figure out the to to, way to make money. 
to monetize themselves and their lives. They have no discernible skill. But what they've done is they've monetized their picture or they've monetized something and now they're rich and we celebrate them and we follow them around. We have whole social media influencer categories of people that are influencing you and making money off of it and we celebrate the fact they're influencing us and making money off of it. Ads everywhere. So... Let's just jump into this teaching in Luke 12. See what Jesus has to say about the topic. This is from Luke 12, beginning verses 13 and following. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So a crowd is following Jesus, and out of the crowd, a guy speaks and says, Teacher, there's a recognition, Rabbi. There's a recognition of the authority of Jesus. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, there's, it, this is complicated because we don't know enough details to know what the whole situation and circumstance was. We don't, we don't really understand everything that's taken place, but this brother thinks the other brother is stiffing him. So he's trying to get his money. Jesus replies, man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, there's so many gaps in this story, it's hard for us to fill in. How Jesus went for from what could have been a fair request. Maybe this guy was getting stiffed. Maybe he had the inheritance, his brother had taken it. Maybe there are all sorts of Jewish laws and things that talk about inheritance and who gets what. And maybe this guy wasn't getting his fair share. But Jesus jumps from fair share to greed, which seems like a major leap for some of us. But Jesus is Jesus, and as God, he saw some insight into this guy's heart. And so he, he quickly takes the teaching to uh, this point of watch out for greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, really, we in 21st century America, we should underline this verse. We should memorize this verse. We should figure out a way to take this verse to heart. That your life does not, listen to me, your life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions that you have. Anybody have like a retirement fund? How's it doing? How's your retirement fund today? Anybody got a car they're trying to put gas in? Gone to the supermarket? I mean, it's crazy out there. Right? It's crazy. And if your worth is dependent upon your stuff, well, you got a number of problems as we're going to see. But one of the practical problems is your worth is worth about 20% less than it was a month ago. You know what I mean? I mean, really, your retirement fund, all your stuff, it's, about, it's down, right? And if, if your worth monetarily goes down, and yet you attach your worth to your possessions, are you worth less today than you were a month ago? I pray not. 
He told them this parable. It's a brutal parable. I mean, really. This is one of those parables that are like, we've read it so many times, we don't get the brutality of it sometimes. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Is there anything wrong with this story so far from our perspective? No, I mean, reasonable question. I've had a good year. I need to put my crop somewhere. I'm out of space. What am I going to do? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Now, I'm, I'm going to try not to be ugly um, about this passage because I'd be preaching to myself. Um, but, you know, the Bible has no retirement plan mentioned. I mean, it never talks about retirement. That's a, like a, that's a 19th, 20th, 21st invention for all of us, the whole idea of retirement. Now, I'm not against retirement. I think I'm headed there myself someday. But this guy aimed everything toward tearing down, building bigger barns, all for himself. That's the point. It was all for him. And what he didn't know was God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I'm going to come back to this, but it's remarkable that God talks to him and says, you fool. Jesus goes on and comments and says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now you may be saying, I saw nothing wrong with this story up till the very end when God called him a fool. Because it was so American, isn't it? And also, it was very Jewish. And here's the Jewish mindset. Prosperity meant you're a good man. Prosperity meant God was blessing you. The guy had a good harvest. He had a great harvest, such a good harvest, he needed a bigger barn. To them, that would indicate God's blessing on their lives. And Jesus isn't countermanding that. But he is saying what was bad was the guy's attitude. Nowhere do you see the guy's attitude saying, hey, God has made me rich. I should give some of this away. I should help the poor. I should bless those around me. No, his total mindset was, this is for me. God has blessed me. I'm going to build a bigger barn so that when I retire, I can just sit on the front porch and eat and drink and be merry. And Jesus says, you don't know how long your days are. You don't know what's the future. Now again, please, there's things you could hear me saying that I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't be wise stewards. I'm not saying don't be good with what God's given you. I'm not even saying don't build up a retirement fund. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is if your intent is simply to bless yourself, and it's all about me. It's all about me, and all this is for me. I mean, that's, our, that's the way we think. 
Jesus is saying that is not the kingdom of God. This is a radical teaching for many of us. This is a radical teaching in the world around us. But let God speak to you. Please don't hear any condemnation coming from me, but rather listen to what the Spirit of God speaks to your heart about you and where you stand today. And so I want to talk about a couple of negative things, but then I want to flip it and say, okay, how do we come out of this? How do we countermand what is so prevalent all around us? All right, so here's the first thing, which I think you've gotten the point of, beware of greed. Beware of it. Some of us aren't even aware that it's on us. We need to be aware of the circumstance and situation that we're in, entailed in. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There it is right there. Just underline it. And you'll be amazed if you ask God, hey God, am I really greedy? Would you show me some things that I need to, that I've let greed enter my heart? If you open yourself up to the power and presence of the Spirit of God to speak to you, you'll be amazed. You'll be like, I didn't even know that. He goes on and says, put to death, this is Paul in Colossians, sorry. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Now, wait a minute. One of those on that list doesn't seem near as bad as the rest of them. Right? Okay. <laughs> Don't put to death earthly nature. Sexual immorality, yes. Impurity, yes. Lust, yes. Evil desires, yes. Greed? Is that the same level? Paul is saying it is. Why? Because it's idolatry. It's putting your trust in something other than God. We need to be aware of greed jumping on us from all sides. Second point is this, we need to be aware of where our true security is. The problem that greed presents us is we think our money is our security, and that is idolatry, by, by the way, when you place your security in something other than God. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We think, please listen, we think money and security go hand in hand. Social Security, right? I mean, we need it. Social security. I need that security for the future. I need to know where my retirement is going to be. I need to know what's going to happen after I work. I need to build up my... For Listen, again, I'm not preaching against us. I'm just trying to... You see, sounds like you are. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I think you may be. What I'm trying to do is help us see how secure we have become in our hearts on stuff. How we depend our identity on stuff. How rather than trusting God for our future, we trust God in our stuff. You know, I, I, I just did this the last week. I, I have a, it's like a 401k. It's a 403b or something that, I don't know the numbers. It, it has to do with my retirement fund. And I, I have Quicken. Anybody use Quicken? Nobody uses Quicken in this place. Grant, when are we going to do that financial uh, class again? Do you all have budgets, money? Do you track your money? Do you know where it's going? You might use a different program. That's fine. Personally, I'm ancient. I use this thing called Quicken. It's a program. All my computer goes out and talks to all my banks and all my bills and all my stuff. And 
blah, blah, blah. And every day I can see how my retirement fund is. And I, I got to tell you, it's dang depressing. I mean, every morning, because I, I don't want to see it, but it's just there with all my accounts and just all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, how did I lose that much money last night? And you know what? Something, honestly, something in my heart sinks. So I've, I'm, I've just this past week or two just turned that off. Just so I don't have to see it every day. It's not like, I'm not denying reality. I'm just like, I just don't need to see it because it's affecting my heart. There's something about it. Now, you may not be the same way. You may be wanting to do something else and you're fine with it but I can tell you how it's affecting me and what I realized is there's an element of my security that's there and I need to trust in God because my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions and this guy says to himself hey self you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years take life easy eat drink and be merry what the dude doesn't know is he doesn't have I mean, he's got things stored up, but what he doesn't have is the years because God is calling him out that very night. And then he's like, who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Does Jesus really mean this is how it's going to be for anyone? I think he's saying inside of ourselves, if we place our security in our stuff, then we become idolaters. And we all, we all have this in, in us. We, we've just got to get recognizing it because there's real freedom that comes when we say, I'm going to give away. I'm going to let go. God can trust me because I'm a good steward. When I was in college, uh, really when I was a senior in high school, I bought a, a car. It was a 1961 Buick Special. Not so, now remember, this is late 70s, so it wasn't as bad as it looks here. Yes, it was. It was $300. It had 30,000 miles on it, and I bought it in Miami, Florida. It had no heater in it. Did you, did you know they even made cars without heaters? Uh, well, they did when they were in Miami, Florida, because no one needed a heater. So uh, my dad and I went to the junkyard. We bought a heater. We put a heater in a car because I was going to college in Oklahoma. Hence, you need a heater, right, in Oklahoma. So I drove this car back and forth from Miami, Florida to Shawnee, Oklahoma, two, three times a year. Um, and obviously had no air conditioning because it didn't have a heater. <laughs> I couldn't put air conditioning in it, but I could put a heater in it just so the windows wouldn't fog up and you wouldn't freeze. And the heater, by the way, it was not really a heater. It was like a barely warmer. You know, that's the kind of heater that's in the car where you, when it's really cold, it barely takes the edge off. By the time I graduated college in 1980, um, I figured I, I, I'm never going to get married if I keep driving this 1961 Buick Special around. I'm never going to meet a girl. My winning personality and good looks were not enough to carry me. I needed a car. So I decided on what car I wanted. I wanted a 1980 Olds Cutlass Supreme burgundy with tan interior. 
couple of problems. <laughs> I, I had no money. But you know what? They'll give you money. You know, they'll give you a car. You can just walk in, and all you have to do is, is sign a piece of paper, and they'll give you a car that you can walk out with. Now, TV, I'm not making fun of the car industry, but... <laughs> Somehow, in my winning ways, I not only decided I was going to go buy a car on credit, but I convinced my dad to co-sign with me, which my mom was not in favor of. It's the only time I've ever seen my mom and dad totally disagree about a topic. But dad gummit, I bought a 1980 Olds Cutlass Supreme Burgundy with tan interior, and I looked good. Now, my, car, my mom, my mom, my mom believed I had subverted God's will. That this was not God's answer for my life. And so the entire time, six years I owned this car, she called this car Ishmael. <laughs> for those of you with some biblical background, she said, God had a plan for your life, but that wasn't it. And you went out and got it on your own. Yes, I did, and I look good. <laughs> In my 1980 Olds Cutlass, that's a good-looking car, don't you think? By the way, I didn't meet Kathy when I was driving this car, and I didn't get married, obviously. The car did me no good in that category either. I may have had a couple more dates than I did before, but it really didn't get the end game there. What I'm saying is, I, I honestly, somewhere in the back of my head, as a 21-year-old single male, there was something about a car, especially of this caliber, that gave me actually more security. As crazy as it sounds. And this teaching of Jesus is this. Eventually, you know what a car becomes? Just a car. What you think will give you identity after about six months to a year, if it's a really nice car, maybe a year and a half, it's just a car. It gets you from place to place. It's really not as special as you think it is. The identity part wears off for some quicker than others. For me, it took about a year and a half. Probably should have been about a month. People, my point is this. Please realize that our security doesn't lie in what we own. It will never ultimately satisfy. As a matter of fact, it's like drinking water that makes you thirstier. The more you drink of it, the thirstier you get. You know that question of how much is enough? Just a little bit more. That's how much is enough. Because it's never enough if indeed your security lies in it. Be always living kingdom-minded, Jesus is saying. Later on in Luke, the next teaching after this one, the disciples are trying to figure this out. They're trying to say, inherent is a question that's not asked with his disciples. And there's this teaching that Jesus gives right after this where they're thinking, well, wait a minute, if a rich guy who's being blessed is called an idolater, what, what, our whole system and way of thinking 
there's something wrong with it. What do we do? Jared, uh, Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is. So where's your treasure, people? It's got to be in a heavenly ideal, a heavenly realm, because that's where we want our hearts to be, right? We don't want our hearts to be placed in treasures here on earth. Paul says, again, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, nor of impurity, again, or of greed. Again, I, I'm just stunned when these lists come out sometimes. Like, greed, sexual immorality, and impurity don't sound like they go together. Greed seems like way down on the chart compared to the other two. Paul is saying all three of these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. Listen to this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person because such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You with me? Greed's bad, right? We want to avoid greed. How are we going to do that? Let me just give you very quickly a couple of things that will help you overcome greed in your life. So here's my contention uh, in preaching and in life. Me telling you to stop doing something will not help you stop doing something. So if I just stand up here and say, quit being greedy, I'm not really helping you. But rather, what do I do to stop being greedy? How can I focus on something else? And I think the first thing is, be thankful. Be thankful. You, oh, pastor, that's so simple. No, it's not. It is, it is easy to be ungrateful. You'll quickly be ungrateful. You'll be ungrateful if you leave here and have to go to Zaxby's and wait more than five minutes at the drive through line. No, wait, that's me. That's all of us. We, we go from thankful to unthankful just like that. And it's, it, it, to battle greed, figure out how to be thankful. We've seen this so many times. Give thanks in all of them. All circumstances. Why? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Anybody? I hear this all the time. I just wish I knew what God's will for my life is. Here's number one. Be thankful. Start there. It's a no-brainer. You may not know all the steps of your life, but I can tell you one of them. Be thankful. I think an ingrate is one of life's ugliest creatures. Someone who's ungrateful all the time. Instead, be, be thankful. It'll help you battle greed. Some of you are looking at the circumstances around you, and rather than being thankful, you're trying to figure out how you can change them all the time. Which leads me to the second point, which is this. Be content. Be content. Well, what if my circumstance sucks? Do I have to be content if it's really bad? 
Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, look, I, what I am doing is, Paul says, I have learned to be content in every circumstance, no matter how bad it is. I've learned to be content because contentment is not about um, the circumstance. Contentment is about the nature of my heart, right? It's how I stand in the middle of a bad circumstance. He's not saying don't try and better your circumstance, but whether your circumstance goes up, stays the same, or even gets worse, you need to learn how to be content. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. These two things, I think uh, Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews, is teaching go together. Opposites. Love of money will cause you to be discontent. Instead, stay away from love of money, learn to be content. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Some of us, uh, this, I may be reading too much into this, I don't know. Some of us think, okay, all I need is godliness. Okay, but godliness with contentment, great gain. Well, won't contentment come with godliness? I don't know. I've known some godly people who are discontent. I think godliness and contentment, you get great gain. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm going to run out of time because money is talked about a lot in the Bible. And one of the things that greed will do is that greed and love of money will it'll cause your heart to be pierced. It'll cause you grief, in other words. More doesn't result in more contentment. I know that sounds simple, but you could probably write it down and live with it. Getting more doesn't bring more contentment. I don't know what number I'm on, but the next one is this. Be giving. Be giving. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Goes on and says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. How do we, one of the ways we fight greed is by becoming a giving people. I think there's nothing that'll break greed off of you quicker than you giving away. And let me say this too about your giving. I don't think it's, it's when you give in the excess that breaks that spirit of greed off of you. What breaks the spirit of greed off of us is sacrificial giving. Some kind of giving that actually costs me something. You may disagree with that perspective, but I found in my own life that one of the ways I become less greedy is by not holding on so tight. But that gift needs to generally cost me something. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when David has really messed up, which generally happens like every other chapter. And he's done something, and now he, he wants to offer God a sacrifice because a, 
he, he did something wrong and a plague has stopped. It stopped at this certain place. He goes to this guy's house and goes, I want to offer God a sacrifice here. Sell me your land so I can make this sacrifice. And the guy goes, oh, wait a minute. You're the king. I'm just going to give it to you. And I would have said, thanks, pal. I appreciate it. Because, you know, in seminary, they teach you mooching 101, 102, 103. They do, you know, just kidding. Uh, sort of. Um, I would have said, thank you for this blessing, brother. Something along those lines. But David, the king, says this. I will not offer to God a sacrifice that cost me nothing. I'm going to pay full price for this land. And I'm going to give this sacrifice. David's learning as he's going along. For us, there's something about sacrificial giving that breaks off the spirit of greed in our hearts. Find ways that you can give away. And if you think that I'm asking you to give money to the church, like, okay, this is what you do. You give sacrificially to us because you'll sow a seed of faith and then God will bless you more and then blah, 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 blah. Then don't. If you think I'm trying to manipulate you into giving to here, don't give to here. Instead, find a place somewhere else to give. But give sacrificially because it'll break stuff off of your heart. Here's one. I'd struggle with this. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. If you want to break greed off your life, one of the ways is to know that God has given you a spirit of self-control. <clears throat> Many of us have a lot of problems controlling ourselves. Especially when it comes to spending, when it comes to accumulating. Some of us have self-control problems in other areas. Maybe it's the tongue. Maybe it's, you know, the way we treat people. Maybe it's this or that or anyway. But one of the primary areas is in spending. And we need to, if you'll be, help yourself understand that God's given you a spirit of self-discipline, it'll be helpful for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. You can't say no to ungodliness. And I'm trying to point out to you that, you know, things we recognize as ungodly, like impurity, sexual desires, things like that, those are ungodly. We can say no to those. And we can also say no to greed. We can say no. Just say no very popular thing to think about. And finally is this, be kingdom-minded, which is part of this point. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on God's kingdom, not on what? What does he say? Don't set your mind on what? Earthly things. That's that greed aspect. Instead, set your mind on spiritual things, things above. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Praise him. Who am I? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not some 21-year-old white boy driving an old Cutlass Supreme burgundy with tan interior um, around. That's not who I am. I did look good in it, but that's not who I am. That's not my identity in him. That car's in a junkyard somewhere. You know, it's gone. But not only am I here now, but I am here 
am there with him in the future because of who I am in him. Listen, I, I want you to be good stewards of all that God has entrusted to your care. We're going to get to that next week, the whole parable on stewardship. That's next week's lesson. I'm not telling you to be stupid with your money. What I am telling you is don't let money make you stupid. Right? Don't let it grab your heart. Don't, let, don't become greedy with it. And how are you going to do that? You're going you're, you're to battle greedy stupidity with thankfulness and contentment and a heart of giving and being kingdom-minded. Because then your worship will be where your worship should be. Your worship will be in heaven. And you'll know that your life does not consist of your possessions. When you go from this place and you drive off this parking lot, enjoy your car. Enjoy your home when you get to it. But please, always keep in your head this. This is going to burn. As I tell Kathy all the time when stuff breaks down. Don't worry about it. It's just going to burn. Not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually it's all going to burn. And if it's all going to burn, then what the heck does it matter? What matters is what God is doing in my heart and in my life. And I'm encouraging you today to just examine because you've got it. You've been infected. We all have with the spirit of greed. Instead, let God just move in your life to say, God, help me to become more thankful. Help me to be content. Help me to be content with not only the stuff, but the people you've given me in my lives. That's a whole different lesson. But being content in all circumstances. Help me to, help me to show me ways today I can give away. Not only my resources, but my life. And may my mind be set on things above so that I can be kingdom-minded in all I, that I do. Lord, we thank you today for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And God, I am so grateful. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings you've given me and my wife and my children. All the blessings, as we pointed out the other night, that you poured out on this church. Lord, help us to see what we're supposed to do with this stuff. Not that we hold on to it. Not that we let it capture our hearts, but Lord, may we be cheerful, hilarious givers, giving away what you've blessed us. We, we've been made rich on every occasion so that we can be generous in all that we do. Lord, I pray that greed would be broken off of my heart, our hearts, the people in this place. May fullness always be known as a people who are cheerful, hilarious givers and not a people who are mad and greedy. Lord, may our hearts and minds be set on you. Lord, we, we say today, take our lives. Let them be instruments of righteousness in your hands for your kingdom's sake and your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen.